This podcast is a production of Unfiltered Studios. If you would like to know more about joining Unfiltered Studios, please visit our website at unfpod.com for more information. The world has moved on, and all that was over, done before fairly begun. This line from Stephen King's The Dark Tower series poetically conveys a sense of rapid disorienting change. Much like the world of entertainment media today, the landscape is evolving faster than we can grasp. Lines between media types blur and disappear. Consumers become creators. Tech and retail smear themselves all over entertainment. Content is consistent yet personalized and present across once separate platforms. As virtual worlds mesh with physical, entertainment realities shift with it. Filmmaker and producer Noah Kinsey joins us amidst this turbulence. With credits spanning from old Hollywood studios to new media titans, and an acclaimed short film named Lullaby, which has garnered award after award, he provides a rare perspective from inside the vortex. We discuss things like crumbling box office numbers, swollen cinematic universes, why some content peters out with a whisper, and others a viral roar. And we also hit on the vanishing balance between existing IP, and new stories. Noah unpacks the forces reshaping entertainment from corporate groupthink to a fragmented audience. In the Dark Tower, one world ends as another begins. For creatives like Kinsey, it's a challenge and a chance. And if you want some tips to flourish in this transitional new era, tune in as we glean wisdom from a thoughtful artist navigating these shifting sands. Because while the machines are always evolving, human dreams endure. But find out for yourself in an episode I'm calling Brave New Hollywood. Noah Kinsey on the evolution of media. Watch out. You might get what you're after. Kinsey's bio is extensive. He's an emerging force within the entertainment industry, working behind the scenes as a co-showrunner, producer, director, production manager, staff writer, script doctor, and screenwriter. Noah's journey in the industry includes collaborations with numerous production companies, with media entities like Disney, Discovery, and Twitch. But beyond the screen, Noah is the host of the Coffee Time podcast, which strives to humanize individuals. And if you're like me, where you are lucky enough to have had the opportunity to watch his short film, Lullaby, or his TikTok videos, you'll notice that the human aspect is a recurring theme in Noah's work. Noah, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. Yeah. Wow, that introduction. I hope I live up to that. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm sure you will. You know, <laughs> some of my other ones, maybe not, but not you. I'm talking about some of my other guests. It was funny. I had a friend on once. Or well, two friends. And he has a podcast, one of them. And I, I said, you know, I wrote this intro for him. And then my other friend's like, geez, you make him sound like a respected podcaster. I thought he just gets drunk and watches <laughs> wrestling clips. But uh, yeah, it's good to see you. Obviously, good to see you. it's been too long. It's been too long. I know you're busy. 
And I, you know, it's, it's, it's always been nice. Cause I always feel like you're probably like the first person. Like, I always feel like you, um, you kind of helped me in this, right? Cause when I started is when I met you, mm-hmm. I was only like seven or eight in, I think. So yeah, possibly when we were guests on the other podcast together. Yes. Yeah. The other podcast. I don't think it exists anymore, but yeah. That's that's how we met. And, you know, I always appreciated that. So I, I just want to say thank you at the top for, you know, you know, like, like, I guess, believing in me. I don't know. I don't know why I started on such a. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> a no, sappy thank note. you. No, no, no. Feelings definitely mutual. Yeah. So I'm I'm good with the sappy. Yeah. And it's good to see that you're doing so well. You know, like when I think about it, I'm like, that's a guy who deserves to do well. And obviously, oh, appreciate that. yeah, I mean, obviously. You had a short film that I can't even tell you the number of awards that you've been nominated or won, but I see it. I feel like every other day I see a new one. Yeah, the reception's been amazing. That's been not uh, the awards have been incredible. Yes, I want I definitely want the validation of my industry. I'm not going to lie about that, but the response for people watching it has been the most rewarding part for sure like people's reactions after that and the conversations they want to have. So thanks, man. Yeah. It's been a fantastic journey. Um, how long did you have that idea in your head for a little bit? Lull- uh, I don't want to sure. say like a short film lullaby. Yeah. Short film. I, I wrote that in 2019. Okay. Yeah. I wrote that a long time ago, but unlike other things, I felt like this needed the right people in place both in front of and behind the camera and it needed an appropriate budget and our budget was incredibly tiny it was only seven thousand dollars which if anybody out there if you know anything about the industry that's that's the thinnest shoestring of a budget you can get for something like this so but i knew it needed at least some sort of budget to get the right people in place to give it the right production value and the right performances. So it's been something that's been on my mind for, you know, we filmed it in 2022. Mm-hmm. So it's been on my mind for three years that this is an important, at least important to me story to tell and put out there. Yeah. I remember I, you actually had an episode on your podcast talking about making a movie like this, Yeah, which was pretty yep. fascinating. You were talking about how, you know, you're supposed to get, I guess, some kind of licenses to record in places. And you're like, well, I mean, Permits, I took the other tag yeah. where I just like jumped. Yep. Oh, yeah. We did. We and... definitely did guerrilla shooting <laughs> yeah. on the Santa Monica Pier, which bumped the production value so much. And we got almost everything, almost everything except for the very first shot of the scene. We got kicked out. But it actually worked out better because, once again, this was the very beginning of that whole sequence on the Santa Monica Pier. So it was easy and common sense to have it start on the main level. So like the Santa Monica Pier, for people who don't know, there's a like a long walkway slash driveway that goes down to the pier from the main level. And so we just recorded on the main level. But the ironic thing was security guards were totally cool with us being there. Totally cool. It was this groundskeeper. I call him the Dwight Schrute of the Santa Monica Pier, (laughs) where he was drunk off the smallest amount of power that he just was hounding us and following. And we had such a teeny tiny crew. So we're able to kind of ninja a bunch of shots and get him in there. But again, the employees that worked there, they were cool. Literally the last shot 
when we got kicked out from this guy, we had a security guard watching. And she was totally cool with everything. It was just this one guy where it's like, you are drunk off the smallest amount of power, buddy. But yeah, so usually you have to get permits to shoot in specific locations. But also, in my defense, usually that means there's like 20 or 30 cast and crew members. So it makes sense because you have to make room for that where we're not disturbing anybody. Most of the shots was just our cameraman and the two actors and the sound guy way far away, not even anywhere close. So in our defense, a permit was unnecessary. I I agree with you. Like, you know, there's, there's stuff like in New York city. I get you some, sometimes they're doing a chase scene and it's like, they're closing down actual streets in New York. That's where permits make sense. Obviously a permit makes sense. You have to have, you know, something in place for that, but I know what you mean. Like, yeah, it gets a little, it gets a little silly. Yeah. Well, you were nice enough to let me watch the film earlier. I think before you even submitted it into anything. And I watched it with my son and you know, it's, it's, I think it's 10 minutes or 11 minutes. It's not, it's long. It's shorter. It's a short film. It's less than nine minutes. Is it really? Jesus Christ. You got a lot into (laughs) nine minutes. Shit. (laughs) But we both, you know, obviously I won't give away anything, but we were both just so quiet for about, two minutes after it was over, you know, it it was just, it was such a good job of building something up and then hitting you with didn't even like unexpected. Like, I think what was so good about it was that the twist, obviously people have pulled off twists, you know, and night Shyamalan did that for years. And I mean, he actually kind of like just did it to the point where it's like, all right, come on, man. Like let's write a movie movie different. But you were able to pull off changing genres almost within the same eight minutes, nine minutes, whatever it was. And I think that's what we were just like, oh, my God, man, that was that was incredible. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think it's honestly like just a testament. You know, it's I mean, the actors are incredible in it, like really incredible. That yeah, girl man. is is amazing. Yeah, she is. And, you know, you just kind of build it up. Well, it's kind of what I'm talking about from the top, right? Like, there's more of the human aspect in there. And that's like the buildup of it. You know, that's the whole thesis behind it, you know, is what would, you know, I and I leave it vague on the IMDb tagline where I, all I put is, what would you do? Yeah. You know, and that's, that's really the conversation that I want to have. And, even without people seeing the tagline, when people watch this, they want to tell me what they would do. Once again, not spoiling it, but they would say if they were in that situation. Yeah. And to me, that's really what I wanted to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it comes to grips with something very, very well. I, you know, it's hard because I don't want to give it away, but like a choice. It's like a that. polarizing. Yeah. It's a polarizing film, but not in a way where it's polarizing as in there's some people that absolutely despise it and some people that love it. It's more polarizing where do you agree or disagree? Would you do the same or would you, you know, which would you be once again, being super vague about it, but that's kind of the thing is like, what do you do? When I was getting my latest tattoo sleeve, I had during a break, I had my tattoo artist watch it and the, I didn't even ask him any questions. The second it was over, he was like, I would do this. Like yeah. he just immediately, like if he was in that situation, he would do that. And I just, 
ah, that's the best part because that I want this film to have conversation and I end it after those final moments. I purposely end it in a way where you're forced to sit with it. Yeah. We don't have just, I mean, I can spoil this part. We don't have end credits. We had two different, two different possible endings, one with end credits and one without one just blackout. And my feeling was that with the credits, it just immediately like you move on where I want people to sit with it and just kind of let it, you know, mentally digest. So I chose without any sort of end credits. So that way you're forced to sit there, not be distracted by anything and be stuck in your feelings. Yeah. Well, so it, I love that. That's you exactly and your, <laughs> how it came off. I love that. I yeah. love that you and your son like, just sat there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he expected to like it as much as he did. You know, I was like, yeah, you got to watch this. Like, I got to check this out. It's like 10 minutes. Just watch it with me or whatever, which was nice because he's at that age where it's like he pays attention to me a little bit, but not. We don't have, <laughs> he the has same. Like some credibility. But, yeah. You know, not as much as you should. Yeah. But he's yeah. a teen. So you lose some of that just because teenagers it, it, know better than their parents. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it was nice. That was a nice part too. But yeah, it was just like, it was at least like two or three minutes. Well, I think, you know, he's actually like, what the? And then it was <laughs> like that. And I didn't know if he liked it or not. Cause he just liked that reaction he had, but, but he did. So, so is there, obviously you sat with that for a while. Was there something that triggered that idea in you or, cause I think it's so much more than what, it is on the surface. Oh, yeah. Like and that's that's the point. Yeah. yeah. It's so much more than that. But is there something you drew upon to get there? Well, I think one of the things we can talk about, because this is where the film starts before it gets subverted, is the concept of co-parenting. Yeah. And the growing pain behind that now. we're Luckily, we're past the point in society where we believe this misconception that you have to stay together for the kids, that that's going to be yeah. the healthiest thing for a family. Even if parents hate each other or are just miserable, Hey, it's better to stay together for the kids. And we learn, no, that's super not the case because all you're doing is teaching them bad relationship skills. So if they're in a loveless, whatever they stick with it because that's what they were taught. Whereas now it's, about trying to be happy and have the best quality of life for everybody. But coming along with that is now the growing pains of figuring out how to healthily co-parent and how laws aren't exactly, how do I put this? It's there. It's a gray area still. So when shit hits the fan, there's not the perfect response that immediately solves it. And you have parents, usually the men, who maliciously use the kids to hurt the ex-wife or ex-girlfriend by playing games and by using that as some sort of leverage. And then you have the police kind of shrugging because unless there's a clear-cut custody agreement or whatever, there's not a lot they can do. And so kind of playing on that. And I've, I've experienced multiple situations not anything to do with me. I have never sired <laughs> kids, yeah. but I've experienced a lot of different situations where there have been those frustrating baby daddy, baby mama moments. And 
trying to get people on your side legally is harder than one think it would be. So for when it came to that, you know, that initially and I wouldn't say that necessarily inspired the short, but that informed the premise that I was going to set up since it's so common to have people think one thing and kind of at the beginning, the I mean, we can for sure say what the beginning is two police coming to the house of a mother who's freaking out because her ex-husband was supposed to drop off their daughter after the weekend with her. And he left an ominous voicemail saying that he's sorry, but he's not bringing her back and her trying to articulate to the police that this is not normal. Meanwhile, the police thinking this is just the same old, same old baby daddy bullshit. Yeah. And having you sit with that and, you know, think that that's what it's really about, but then like, intercut it with these wonderful moments of daddy daughter day at yeah. the pier and just not really you know for sure there's breadcrumbs all over the place on what's happening but i wanted to make them subtle enough where there was like some red herrings in there where you might think one thing but once everything's revealed to you if you go back and watch, yeah. you're going to be like, oh, that's what that was. That's what that was. So, but I want to make it subtle enough where you're not totally yeah. knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. That's an art within itself too, right? Like, cause it was think- a balance in editing for sure. What's too much and what's not enough. Yeah. I'm like that all the time when I watch these things, I almost like try to think of it like, all right, what would I put here? In other words, to like set this up or set that up instead of just watching the movie. Yeah. And it's uh, tough for me to not do that, too. You bring up, obviously, the co-parenting and stuff like that. I did have somebody reach out to be on the podcast. They haven't decided what I'm doing with that. But so I I tend to check people out when they ask me or when I'm talking to somebody because I just want to know what I'm getting into. Sure. And, you know, majorly (laughs) huge. You can make big mistakes sometimes. (laughs) So It's like. But yeah, it was interesting because he wrote a bunch of books. Uh, I won't drop his name here, but because I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. But I was listening to him on a podcast and they were talking about how parents should stay together. And I was like, wow, I haven't heard that in forever. No. And, you know, I was sitting there like I've seen marriages that have stayed together where it's not good for anybody involved. No, yeah, your kids shouldn't kids see pick that. Up, kids pick up way more than we give them credit to. That's true. You know, like it, but some, I think we forget that, especially nowadays. I mean, you look at cartoons from the nineties, like the Batman or Spider-Man or X-Men cartoons, and they're treating kids with respect and they're not talking that's down fair. to them because they understand. And that's why. Those three cartoons hold up if you watch them as adults now and they're enjoyable because they're not talking down to kids. They understand that they can they can get more mature concepts and all that stuff. So but now kids cartoons and movies, you know, if a parent goes to see you want to like freaking take something to knock yourself out during the movie because they belittle kids and they just treat them as little like just little dum-dums and that's just not true and not fair so yeah i 
So the fact that there's that people in the past thought we'll stay together, well, kids aren't oblivious. No. They're picking up what's going on. That's you know their their brains are sponges. They're incredibly impressionable, and they're going to model their adult behavior after their parents. Yeah, honestly, from a personal standpoint, you know things that went on in my family, and I was a smart kid, so. I used to see stuff, but one of the things I despised growing up was that they tried to to shelter me instead of just sure. saying what was happening. Just tell me what's happening and I can process it and deal with it. But I'm sure that led to some trust issues with your parents yeah. because they were keeping that stuff from you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's you know, stuff I had to resolve much later in life, but yeah, I mean, and I try to be very honest with my kids and sometimes it's tough thing because you don't know really the right thing to say but like at the end yeah. of the day just being honest with them and treating them with respect i think that's a good point with those tv shows though because i love that i mean batman the animated series is like it's like timeless that one especially yeah, the way it's go. put together mm-hmm. yeah and the x-men series was great i know they're supposed to be bringing that back i don't know if it's back yet but they were talking about bringing that back yeah it's coming back to disney plus but we'll see i'm a little you worried know, we'll, though me too i am too <laughs> Because you just don't know. I mean, it's similar to I grew up watching Boy Meets World. I recently rewatched it and that thing holds up. And then I went to watch Girl Meets World. And it's just a bummer to watch that yeah. because it's Disney Channel humor where they talk down to kids. Like, yeah, it's to the point where it's like, OK, I know this is for kids, but it wasn't written by kids. Like, it's just it's painfully unfunny and it's just so unfortunate that we have to just dumb things down for kids. We don't have to. Why we choose to. Well, let me ask you this, because you're you're obviously in the industry. Is it is it like a Netflix effect? Because I feel like sometimes even when I watch something for me on Netflix, I'm like, this is just so straightforward and like not there's no substance here. And I try not to have this like generation gap, but I grew up basically in the 90s, 80s, 90s. But like the movies in the 90s were obviously very different. Everybody looks back on them now and talks about it as being one of the golden eras of, of film. It is. And it, really, it is. Yeah. yeah 80s I, and 90s, I think it's hard to top when it comes to the the cinematic feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a little different than too. And I feel like music was kind of different than also it was like, you know, rap kind of like came into its own and then you had like the grunge alternative movements. And it's like, I feel like the studios stayed out of the way for a little while. And I don't want to give the man any credit, but Weinstein's company figured out that they can make uh, movies for $10 million and possibly make like 300 million off of it. And that gave a lot of license to the directors and writers and people in there because it wasn't it wasn't this super expensive, you know, thing to put together that had so much riding on it like it is now. Like those Marvel movies now are just obviously there's so many people that get involved with DC was one of them that like that just you could tell like it just there was too many yeah. cooks in the kitchen with that. Way too many cooks. But there's in so the much kitchen. money in it in it too. Sure. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, I can so tell. so it's not the Netflix effects because this actually came before Netflix when it comes to at least children's programming. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that 
when you look at Fox Saturday morning lineup, that's broadcast. So it has to appeal to the masses. Back in the day when broadcast was the thing where most people watched, you know, you had to attribute for a lot of different demographics. Whereas when you have stuff like the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon or something like that, I think the thought is, well, the kids are going to watch, the parents aren't. So we don't need to uh we don't need to add a little bit of extra intelligence to this so once again they're like talking down to their audience mm-hmm. but what happens and not i mean we obviously we could get political but it's similar to like what ben shapiro did with the daily wire or yeah. what i'm trying to think who else like tucker carlson things like that where you start off by kind of belittling your audience a little bit to mm-hmm. the point where those that are smarter than that are going to leave and eventually you create that audience that is exactly what you thought your audience was so you know so maybe they weren't i don't want to say stupid but if you're treating your well yeah just let's make it just just say it. <laughs> so if you think your audience are morons and you talk to them as if they're morons Everyone who's not a moron is going to bail and the morons are going to stay. So you created that audience, you know, kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. So you think you've proven yourself right, but you have just whittled down your audience to the people who don't know the condescension in your tone. And when it comes to these kids programs are like, well, kids are and these are maybe executives who don't have kids who are like, well, kids eat their own boogers. So like, <laughs> let's not really add a lot of intelligence and add a lot of fart and, yeah. and poop and burp jokes. You know, like the Scooby-Doo movie way back in the day, the live action Scooby-Doo movie. There is a fart and burp contest between Shaggy and Scooby. Like, who is that yeah. for? That's for teeny tiny kids who giggle at that stuff. Yeah. Meanwhile, the parents are like, they spent millions on this scene. So it's more of making more niche programming where they think, mm. well, this person isn't going to watch anyway. So we don't need to speak to the parents, which Makes I sense. think is a fallacy. And it's also lazy to me. But I mean, what do I know? Disney Channel is incredibly popular and huge. And it's a factory of its own. Yeah. But that's probably why. I, I could see that's one of the reasons, you know, obviously Star Wars having a lot of issues and then Marvel, right? Marvel was king forever. And then all of a sudden after, you know, Infinity well, they diluted War. their own stuff. That's um, I say that a lot. I mean, they, it, yeah, they're in a catch 22 with that because it's like they need content for the channel to keep it going. But they also know that they've diluted it, whether it's. The writing, even all the the visual effects got diluted because they're, they're pulling from everybody. Yeah. 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 And to your point about like with Harvey and those mini majors and things, that was a totally different world. Yes. There is a slight misconception and it's part of the lore of the Weinsteins that they mm. really let the artist make their own thing. And people look at Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino yeah. as two big dogs that were part of the Miramax factory that they were allowed to make their own stuff. So two things here. First off, the Miramax model is 
is unable to exist in this current climate because part of the way that they made their money is the home video market. Oh, that's true. Which just absolutely imploded. So you can make a movie for twenty million, and if it made like it's usually a three or four time multiplier that you yeah. need to make to turn a profit. Just that's a big misconception. So like people wonder. Well, why did if the Flash barely made over its its budget and marketing budget, why is it not profitable? It's because it's not because half of the box office went to theaters of roughly half. And there's a lot of different aspects where it really does need to make about three or four times its budget to, to just be in the black. Yeah. And when you don't have that home movie, home video market, those smaller movies, those tend to not make as much in theaters as the big budget because those aren't event based like right. the big superhero thing. So you really do depend on that home video market of, and by that, those listeners, I'm talking like DVDs, not streaming, not, not rentals yeah. for the most part. It's mostly DVD sales and it just went away. So those, that, that size of budgets just don't make their money back. So nobody's doing that. But also kind of going back to where I said there's some romanticism on the history of that. I would argue that the Weinsteins as producers had way more influence on those movies, on the quality of the movie, on the cut of the movie than even they wanted to admit. They wanted to be the tour friendly studio. But I think kind of the bubble has burst on that once Quentin Tarantino and especially Kevin Smith went out on their own. Mm. I would say like with Quentin Tarantino with Hateful Eight, personally for me, didn't care for it. But also, it's very self-indulgent. It's very overly long. The pacing isn't great. And that was kind of one of that was one of the first where he was away from the Harvey Bob umbrella but then he fine-tuned that with once upon a time in hollywood and that movie's phenomenal great, but then yeah. you, but you look at kevin kevin smith and oh my god ever <laughs> since he left there his movies are garbage I, yeah, i'm I sorry i had to stop watching them all of them yeah are he's a jersey terrible. guy too so i was always rooting for him but it's like yeah holy but like, shit but you see just how much influence the weinsteins had because everything outside of their Weinstein bubble is just rough. And yeah. it's because, you know, Weinsteins are the ones that, well, one of the ones that encouraged Pulp Fiction to be cut out of order. Yeah. You know, and not be a linear story. And that was to its benefit. That thing put Quentin on the map. So even though Reservoir Dogs was before that, that was the little engine that could, but. Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction was a big thing. Yeah, Pulp Fiction kind of created that whole style. It's so stylistic it when I look Quentin. at it. But it created yeah, it, him and that, like, there's so many people who tried to be him after that. You know, there's so many movies. Yeah. They'd be like, this is the Pulp Fiction for the 20-year-olds. Yeah, I remember, like, the movie Go came out and they were like, this is Pulp Fiction for teens and 20-year-olds and stuff like that. And it sure wasn't. But- no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah, so I think there's a lot of I mean, it's easy to do. It's movie magic. It's, there's a lot of romanticism when it comes to the business side, and it's just really not there. It's kind of always been about the economics. Yeah. And it's just now it's way more in your face because the ways to make money 
have shrunk so incredibly to very few options. So you see studios terrified to take any sort of chances yeah. with a significant amount of money. So they stick to IP and quite frankly, people vote with their dollars. So seeing as how most people vote for IP, why wouldn't studios assume that's where it needs to be? And even with like, I'm not as harsh on Disney as other people when it comes to the Marvel stuff, because Wall Street was telling everybody to be just like Netflix to every studio. You have to have your streamer. You, the important thing to Wall Street was subscription. So what that means is you have to have a bunch of content. So they're taking their cues from Wall Street. And so they're just all of them are, are happily taking losses on their streamers because that's what Wall Street told them until last year when Netflix had the one quarter where they had to report losses. Yeah. And Wall Street said, oh, wait, no, no, no. We don't care about subscriptions anymore. Now it's about profit. And meanwhile, all these studios are like, we, we're billions in the red because you told us to do this. So now they're having to course correct Matthew Bellamy of the town and Puck coins at the great yeah. Netflix correction. I love that term. Yeah. And that's really what it is. So, but you know, when you're taking your cues from Wall Street and they're saying content, 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 of course, Bob Iger is going to be like, yeah, we're going to do a ton of Marvel shows. We're going to be doing a ton of Star Wars because that's what they were told to do until they were told to do kind of the exact opposite. Yeah. And now they're just like scrambling to figure that shit out. So, yeah. unfortunately, you know, some people think Marvel got high on their own supply, but I don't agree. I think the timing made it where it's going to dilute it because they were told to produce a lot of stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I just went on for a long, long no, time. There's just so much to unpack. No, I'm, I'm glad you did because, you know, I forgot you're right. And I kind of knew that, too, about the the DVD sales and, and the After Effects. I remember watching something with Matt Damon talking about yeah, that. Yeah, like he had a great breakdown on that. Yeah, he said it way better than I ever did. He said, yeah, well, he's, I don't know if it was just cut up right. He said it in like 20 seconds. I was like, oh, shit, that makes sense. And, and back when we were younger, I mean, it didn't happen right away either. I remember like when I was young, you know, Batman, the movie, 1989, which is sad to say. So it was like 10. You know, that was such an event. But then it was yeah. like six months before you get back then. I think it was a VHS at that point. Mm -hmm. But Oh, yeah. You know, you used to have like this time and, and even like HBO, like it'd become like an event. Oh, it's on HBO, you know, Saturday night, well, Batman's going to be on or whatever it is. And yeah, the market just changed so much. It's definitely a correction. And I think they're definitely trying to figure out what they're doing with it. Cause even cinema's in a weird place or mm -hmm. movies in general. And just speaking from at least my experience or the human element too, it's like, when I was young, I used to go all the time. I love movies. I love sitting in a theater because something something about being in the theater just sucks you into it. When you're at home, it's hard. There's a lot of distractions. Your fucking phone's right there. I mean, yeah. you know, shit like that. But in a movie, I was always just sucked into the world and just able to just concentrate on that and focus. But now it's also, it's just so expensive. So mm -hmm. if I'm taking my family, you know, it's going to be 75 bucks to go to a movie and the event movies are probably the safest bet because i know exactly what i'm getting yeah. even even if it's bad i know what i'm getting i know what i'm walking into whereas you know when i was younger i could it was just me you could pay like 
six bucks, seven bucks, and see whatever. And if it sucked, I was like, well, it sucked, but whatever. It's just different now with the, the economics of it. You're right. And it, yeah, and it's as TV has gone more niche, movies have had to go more mainstream and yeah. had to try and get the three or four quadrants. Those are the, the de- demographics of people. If, if a movie hits all four quadrants, that means it theoretically appeals to everybody. Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is when you're trying to make those movies, you also dilute them to where they might not be as hard hitting because... You know, there might be someone in a different quadrant where that might be a negative for them. So they have to play it safe. So you have movies that are just all like I use the the movie Terminator Genesis as an example of something that based on how that studio felt with the economics, they felt it had to appeal to literally everybody. And it ends up appealing to nobody because it just the legacy Terminator fans are going to say, like, what is this and new people are going to be like why am i seeing a terminator why am i seeing terminator four when i or five when i haven't seen the first four you know so it's like who are you making this for so there is this thing where you really have to have the right producer and executives involved that understand that if you know you there you know there's an xy axis of course of trying to figure out like where is the perfect point where you get reach enough people that you're going to maximize profits without trying to appeal to too many people and minimize profits mm. and that balance is they're struggling a lot of studios who normally are pretty good with that are really struggling with that and it's because everything's shifting so much and they they they're they're making choices out of fear because at the end of the day they have investors and shareholders that the tr- truly the people that they are responsible to they're not responsible to audiences or their employees yeah. at all they're responsible to the people who make those CEOs lots of money and so yeah so that's kind of where we're at we're at a really weird weird place i mean i think everything's cyclical There's a lot of doom and gloom behind theaters, but I think they're going to evolve. I think audiences want to go to the theaters. I I think think we're seeing that a lot that we just have to figure out. We as in filmmakers have to figure out how to cater without pandering. Well, it's interesting, right? So this summer you had a bunch of bombs for all the event movies and then in one weekend, you know, you had Oppenheimer and Barbie just kind of blow everybody away. So that means, yes, there's there's something there that people want to see. And if they think it's worthwhile, they're going to go. It's just but that isn't is. even about the movie, really. Like, though, both of those studios could not have planned this marketing extravaganza. Yeah. It's something that the people <laughs> Capital T, capital P, the people decided was a fun event. It's all, it was almost irony that a movie like Barbie and a movie like Oppenheimer are coming out the same weekend. And the fact that those audiences in theory shouldn't be even remotely the same. Yeah. I think the absurdity of, 
and the fun of the concept of these things being like related, yeah, like kind of being like fraternal twins, yeah, or whatever that 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 phrase is. That's not identical, right? I, I think, think it's that was, yeah, I think that was the the catch. It wasn't really about. The, turns out both movies are phenomenal, but yeah. that's that wasn't the point. It wasn't the appeal of those movies. And I would argue, I don't think Barbie or Oppenheimer would have reached anywhere close to the box office receipts had this event not ha- I'm glad they did they yeah. deserve it but I don't think they would have gotten there without this sort of viral sense the same thing with the most recent Minions movie all of a sudden you have people online guys dressing in suits like young yeah. Gen Z kids dressing in suits with their friends calling themselves the gentle Minions and that just helped catapult this sequel to a spinoff to doing way better than it should have so there's but studios same thing like with megan where people were doing the tiktok dance thing like i think now you're having studios taking the wrong lessons and trying to figure out how to use that as a learning tool and it's the maddening thing is you can't you like when people say I want to make a viral video, it, you can't you quite yeah. literally cannot. Yeah. If you try and make a viral video, no one's gonna like it. But no. if you make a video, it can go viral. So it's that's kind of the catch twenty two of all of this. So they're I, trying to chase a dragon that's imaginary. Yeah. So no, I agree. You're right, and that's that's a really astute observation. And how much. Something that we have yet to grasp is how much, you know, the collective now. It was always about dollars, right? You go to the movie and you pay for it. But there's such a weird net effect now. And I think you might be right. I don't think they would have performed the same way had they not come out the same weekend and everybody didn't make Barbenheimer theme Mm -hmm. stuff, which was incredibly funny. And and yeah, that's another area that that's very strange that nobody knows how to figure out. I actually read something, too, with audiences. That's weird. They call it like the the Rotten Tomatoes effect. You ever hear that? And it's like. Basically, studios can live or die with that kind of stuff, right? And it's not something that happens purposely. It's almost like this thing you run into. All the negative and the positives end up shaping your opinion of a movie when you go in. Um, Have we talked about Rotten Tomatoes before? Have you and I? No. No. I'd love to. Okay. So and if there's anyone out there listening who has heard me talk about this, they're going to roll their eyes because this is definitely a hill I will die on. So Rotten Tomatoes is purposely misleading in its ratings. I've heard do you so when you see the percentage, do you, Jay, know what that percentage means? The way it's shown is there's an audience score and then there's a critic score. The audience score, like it almost looks like if it's got a 72, it's like 72% of people like it. But I don't think that's actually how it works. So for the audience score, it is. It is exactly how you would assume. Where it's misleading is the critic score. And by the way, it's madness that (laughs) they're putting side to side these percentages and they're not even the same. Yeah, that is. They're not even the same thing. Like that doesn't make any sense. But it's because Rotten Tomatoes wants to be the aggregator for good content so they're purposely misleading on this and they're kingmakers in town which sucks because they can really hurt a film whether financially or 
public opinion. So we all assume, most people assume, that Rotten Tomatoes is the percentage. So if you see like, I'm trying, what was the one that's like Thanksgiving? I think had a like a 76 or 83 or or no. It had a pretty high score Thanksgiving, that most recent horror movie. And so people thought it was that. Or even let's say, let's go back to an easy one that I remember. Wonder Woman, the first one, had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And so many people left the theater saying, yeah, it was fine, but it wasn't amazing. And the reason they said that is because they thought that critics thought it was the perfect movie. Like they thought that all critics gave it four out of four stars or five out of five stars or 10 out of 10 when really what it is is so if a movie gets 60 percent or better from a critic, it's considered fresh. Yeah. If the movie gets 59 percent or lower, it's considered rotten. So the percentage for critics isn't what they graded it themselves. It is. What percentage of critics gave it at least a 60%? Oh, okay. So in other words... Basically like a two-star review or above makes it... In other words, Wonder Woman, 100% of critics said it was at least a D-. minus. So that's why when you go into these movies, you think like, oh my God, like it wasn't that great. Like what? I thought this is an Oscar caliber movie and it was fine. So you're kind of hurting people like enjoying the movie because they're expecting this for your consideration, like two hour long movie. Conversely, you have movies like Baywatch with The Rock, which I admit isn't great. The humor they're they're trying both 21 Jump Street humor and American Pie humor in the same movie. And those are two fundamentally different types of humor. So it doesn't entirely work. But that movie was tracking amazing going into its opening weekend until the Rotten Tomatoes score came out of like 20 something. And everyone thought that critics thought it was just absolutely the worst movie ever when the fact was maybe it wasn't great, but it wasn't just straight up garbage. You know, maybe most of those critics thought yeah, it's a D or it's like lower than a D minus. It's serviceable. It's whatever. So the, the polling going into the opening weekend tanked. And the movie bombed. So they lost like 50% of the people who said they were going to go see it once Rotten Tomatoes came out, changed their mind. <laughs> and for studios, that's incredibly damaging yeah. and hurts them. But they really kind of because Rotten Tomatoes has positioned themselves as like the arbiter of truth with cinema, they kind of have no other choice but to lean on it a little bit so when it's certified fresh movies market it as a certified fresh film they're like you can't beat them join them type of thing but yeah rotten tomatoes has had such a damaging effect on our industry and as a filmmaker i know i probably shouldn't say that out loud but fuck it like it is what it is and it's very frustrating especially with how i guess my beef is how misleading it is that is really misleading. But that kind of makes sense because sometimes I see an audience score that's so different from the Well, you saw the that with the Marvels. The Marvels, yeah. the audience score is significantly higher. So in theory, that might have helped kill the Marvels, at least. I know it's obviously underperforming. Really, sure. So. It also doesn't help that you have to have knowledge of two TV shows. Well, that's the other movies, but two that. TV shows. That's asking for a pretty big commitment on the audience to have seen the TV shows as well. That's I true. attribute that more to the to the pain than anything else. That's probably true. And even, you know, the movies were 
at least that first round, you know, the movies would come out two or three a year. Three was a lot for them. So you are getting like time to catch up to it or whatever. And it's, and honestly, it was so new. It was like, cool. It was like they serialized it, you know? And it was like, oh, it's like really having kind of like a comic book for movies. Yeah. You're just reading different stories and eventually they go together. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I know Feige had said, yeah, you're probably going to have to watch the TV shows to know what's going on. And then you're talking about, you know, six to eight TV episodes. There's, there's a lot of like meandering in that stuff too. I mean, I've kind of, I actually just started, I watched yesterday the second season of Loki. I'm only like halfway through it, but I haven't watched anything in a long time. And I just happen to love Loki on itself. I thought it's like, it was so weird. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like Doctor Who-ish to me, the, the mm-hmm. first season. Very much so. Like, it, it works almost on its own. So, mm-hmm. I, but like, it's just been, it's been so much. I'm like, I, I need a break. And you can't yeah. take a break, right? Like, no. so you lose it if you do. Yeah. And if you don't like the shows, then it's like, you're kind of spite watching because you're like, because if I see the movies, I have to watch every single episode of every single show. Yeah. And. Yeah, that's a that's a big ask because they're taking bigger swings on the show, which good for them to yeah. try and do different things. But if you're going to do that, you also can't require everyone to watch every single show in order to appeal to the movies. Or I guess you can, but you can't expect the amount of box office receipts that you once had. Yeah. That's just it's a pretty big ass that's interesting like how's that going to work itself out are they just going to make the movies cheaper or are they well i think they're going to drop you know they've talked about blade being a little bit cheaper but also they're going to course correct that they're already doing that with the new echo show which the spinoff to the character on hawkeye Mm -hmm. that even though the show looks great i don't know i mean well that was back when they felt they had to make content so but no one was asking for an echo spinoff that character was so tiny in hawkeye but again same thing with Agatha from yeah. WandaVision. They're yeah. making a spinoff of that, which no one asked for. I love her, by the way. This I'm not talking shit yeah. about anybody, but that was back when Wall Street was saying you have to make a ton of content and they're just scrambling because I think they were saving main characters or main comic book characters for movies, movies. theoretically. Whereas, okay, with TV, what can we do? But no one's asking for that stuff. But they're already course correcting where... They're calling Echo Marvel Select. Yes, I did see that. And that means that whether or not you watch the show, it won't affect the movie. And I think they've learned that lesson from the Marvels, that they're trying to train people to let them, like, kind of make them feel better and not require so much of their audience because they're definitely seeing the results in theaters. Right, right. You know, and going back to Wall Street, what what makes that interesting and how it's all connected is, you know, with a lot of things after the pandemic, money wasn't as easy to get. Right. So, I mean, that's a big part of it. Right? Like, like you think about not even with movies. What was it? What was the bike that was big during the pandemic? Shit. I can't think of it. That's going to kill me. But everybody was buying the, 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 the bike with the little screen on it and you do like your workouts with it. Oh, the Peloton. That was it. You know, it was fine. They were churning through money like crazy, but money was cheap. It was basically 0% to borrow. So Wall Street's like, yeah, who cares? And then once, you know, rates start going up and things are happening in the economy, they're like, wait a second. It's where you get to. It's like the profit's not here. We don't have time 
to wait for yep. the profit to come in now, even though it was something totally different years ago. It's like, well, we'll just wait and the profit will yeah. come later. It's easy to do when the money's cheap. Yeah. And you're seeing that in, in Silicon Valley with a lot of mm-hmm. uh, startups and social media platforms and things like that, where their valuation has just taken a major hit because back it was all about how many people, how many accounts are set up on your social media. So therefore your value is X amount. And it's like, okay, but where's, where's the revenue portion of this? How are you actually make, because what people don't realize and the reason why streamers are pulling things off of their services is it costs money to store that data and to make room for that on servers. So with social media apps, if you don't have a revenue stream, you're just, costing money because those servers aren't cheap i once was in development for an app and i was shocked at how expensive server space was even remote server space i don't know how these ceos weren't i mean maybe i just suffer from too much anxiety but i don't know how they felt they were able to just ride this horse without any sort of revenue stream at all and feel comfortable i would be worried about when the other shoe's gonna drop and it has so now the bubbles burst and it's about profit margins that's a good point too the 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 value is no longer wrapped in hypothetical yeah it's gonna be tangible right true tangible revenue it's it's definitely like an interesting time and then i remember reading a great article when game of thrones was finally ending and it said that game of thrones is the end of the monoculture and meaning like you go from like remember the hearth they talked about like back in the day that's where the family yeah. like sat around the 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 fireplace, fireplace and talked and then there was you know the radio everybody sat around that and then obviously the tv in the living room but now that everybody's kind of got their own devices and they can stream whenever they want they were trying to say like game of thrones was the last one you sat and watched together and then you'd go to the water cooler the next day and talk about and that makes it interesting because it's then it's it does kind of almost break it down into segments, right? Like segments who are going to enjoy this. I mean, you have your things that are very popular, obviously, you know, Netflix has a few of those. And, but yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be something interesting when you're trying to develop something because you are looking at maybe a limited number of viewers. Yeah, I, I'm not there when it comes to what because i heard that too about game of thrones and for one you're not watching that with your kids the pilot has a brother sister bang well and you and and you have to own you have to have hbo too that was the other thing yeah but like i mean yes that that was a huge water cooler show but that was a water cooler show beyond the age of where the term water cooler came from that's true. You know, where everyone's going at the at their cubicles going, no, like the water cooler now is social media. So I would say That's like a good point. It's once again, it's cyclical. Cyclical. Yeah, I can say that word. And I just think studios are trying to chase that water cooler show. And once again, you can't if you're going to start the same thing with me, trying to make a viral video, if you're starting out by making that water cooler show you're almost guaranteed to not make a water cooler show you're going to make a show that very few people want to watch and other and most people don't want to talk about so it really comes down to what the people have decided is a water cooler show so 
I think what's good, it's very important to follow the market and follow audiences and see what they're looking at and understand why they're watching it. But like Barbie's a water cooler thing because Barbenheimer was a phenomenon, but most people aren't like, let's continue having conversations about Oppenheimer. Yeah, which is funny. It's about it's about Barbie. That was the water cooler movie that uh, audiences of all ages, races, genders, like everyone went and saw that. God movie. knows Ben Shapiro it broke his fucking mind. You see him oh my like God. burning bar- Barbie. I'm like, dude, how much space in your head does this take up? Like, just let it go. He had a video. He's like, I've been forced by my coworkers to go see it. And then he's like burning Barbies in the parking lot and stuff. He like he roasts himself. Yeah. So much stuff like when I don't remember what Home Depot did. That was very conservative friendly. But I remember like liberals were mad at at Home Depot for something. So Ben Shapiro's like, well, we need to, to support Home Depot. And he's saying this in a video where he's like, I went to support Home Depot because it's important. And in his hand was one piece of wood in a Home Depot bag. I'm like, you are are you a parody yeah. like business and we don't realize it? Like, who puts first off, what are you gonna do with one piece of wood? <laughs> yeah. Second off, are your hands so uncalloused that you can't touch a piece of wood with your bare hands and yeah. you want to be considered the height of masculinity? Yeah. Same thing with with the WAP song where he oh said God. that women getting he'll never getting, live that down. No, Ever. women women's bodies getting wet, according to his, his wife, wife, who's a doctor. <laughs> is a medical condition and it's like dude that is did your wife say that with one tear streaming on her face like that's the saddest thing if you never aroused your wife but yeah well like, the best is like he didn't seem to understand no, the concept like no no, no, no. never <laughs> yeah. never he does not understand that he trolls himself yeah. all the time like he no one trolls ben shapiro better than ben shapiro yeah. but but no i don't think i think that water cooler show and movies they're gonna come and they're not going to be what Hollywood expects. So I think where I'm very way more forgiving in my industry because I understand because I'm part of it, because right. I understand the decisions and I hear the conversations happening. The only thing I would fault them on is try. I mean, it all goes back to trying to make that viral video and you just can't. So maybe make something that's good that says something yeah. that does have a, like you have to follow the market. You just have to. Right. But find something, find something that has some sort of appeal and then create something good around it. The, an example of the opposite that I just saw last night was five nights at Freddy. I don't know if you saw that movie, but Oh my God, what the crap was that? So they did the right thing and they took, took IP that has not had a movie about it based on a very popular video game and graphic novel series. I, I know guess. all about it from kids. Oh my God. Yeah. Like they did the right thing by listening to the market and wanting to make a movie about that. But they decided to make the movie about the main security guys past trauma. And it's like, okay, w- w- where did I lose you? Like, why did we go down? It's, it'd be like, the movie Jaws and in the premise was, you know, this, the Amityville, this Island terrorized by this killer shark 
And like, what are we going to do about that? But the movie is about Chief Brody renovating his new house. Like, why are we focused like that? So it's (laughs) I don't understand anything about that movie. But like, just the fact is like they initially the initial intention was right Right. about using IP that's fresh, that people want. But where they went wrong, I think, is everywhere else. So it's so you so you got to focus on making good shit uh, yeah, at the end of the day. I agree with you because I was going to say that's the one that's the one outlier that nobody like talks about when they get too deep in the woods with this stuff, right? The, if you're making content of any kind, quality is always going to be the trump the the card, right? Like even podcasting or or the viral video you're talking about, it goes viral because there's some kind of quality to it that there's a connection to yes, the audience. Something That's genuine the in there too. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you could tell when something's just disingenuine. And I see that a lot on these like you go on like TikTok or something and you'll see some people and you're like, oh, dude, do you want to try a little harder? Or like, <laughs> yeah, like exactly. what's going on? Like it it, it comes down to <laughs> being genuine and then finding yeah. a connection with that. And it, yeah. yeah. And that, but it, but they have they have to and they should start it from a point of this is what the market says they want but then that's not enough you have to say okay what is a quality story that i can tell in that world you know the last of us hit on something that people love yeah you know i'm not huge yeah on that stuff and i don't sadly i I have an xbox but i haven't played video games in so long because i don't have any time to do it but what they did is they took and I'm sorry, I'm going to beat this dead horse until it's reincarnated. But like they took popular IP and they said, OK, what is a quality story we can set in this world? Yeah. And, and shocker, it worked. Who would have thought that people would enjoy like genuine storytelling in popular IP? So there is a way to marry both worlds they're just afraid to do so. They're afraid yeah. to take chances because the studios look at their accountants and look at their shareholders and they try and play it as safe as possible and they get burned. So do you ever think then maybe I'm missing it just because there's so much out there. Like there is going to be a return to because you're talking about IP, right? I'd see it a lot usually with video games. They try to make movies out of them and they're nightmare. Usually, yeah. Right. Almost exclusively until recently. Yeah. And again, like you said, I think The Last of Us, there's a quality probably to it. You know, Pedro Pascal is in that. Right. And he's mm-hmm. a great yep. actor. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a part of it, too, where we go back to just something, I don't know, more original. You know, that's and, and I'm harking back on the 90s and even the 2000s. They had a lot of movies that were almost like independent feeling that just had this flair of creativity and ingenuity to them that you don't see now. Or maybe I'm just missing it because there's so many venues to try to find something. Well, I blame that more on the audiences. Um, That's fair. They, they play a part in that. Yeah. And I'm sure I have a, I don't want to say I have a bias because I am an audience. So I feel like because I can, I'm, immersed in both sides of it 
I feel it's tough when you vote with your dollars and when your vote is cast for IP and they've tried putting massive amounts of money behind new IP and it just doesn't work because if people haven't seen it before, to your point from before, because going to see movies are so expensive, but if they're going to go, they're going to go for the thing that is a more sure thing for them to know exactly what they're going to get and then walk away happy because they got exactly what they're going to get. So I think a lot of that has to do with audiences and even now, like movies, they don't necessarily talk down to people, but they know that people are so distracted while watching movies with everything around them that they have to spell out things instead of having people. Yes. Thank you. These things together. I say that all the time. It like drives me fucking nuts when I'm watching. Well, to be fair, I mean, sure. And me too. Like when I went and saw Hobbs and Shaw, my buddy wanted to see that fast Furious spinoff with Jason Statham and the rock hating each other in that movie. I knew eventually they have to work together. Right. And the movie didn't even trust audiences to put that together. So at the end, Jason Statham literally says, I guess we're going to have to work together. (laughs) And it's like, you just show them working together. You don't need to say it out loud. But to their defense, if you're sitting on your couch watching something while looking at your phone, they kind of need to spell it out or else you're going to be lost. Because they know a lot of the audiences are having a second screen experience is a term that's used a lot. And so... With the bigger stuff, in order for people to not be lost, they have to kind of dumb it down because people are so dis- – atten- we have attention span of a fruit fly nowadays. Yeah. Whereas the cheaper things, the things that don't cost as much that are more Oscar caliber or filmmaker driven, those can ask more of an audience because not as much money is at risk. Yeah. So again, we're going to that three to four times multiplier where if a movie costs five million dollars, everyone at the studio's high five and if it makes thirty million. Yeah. Because the just the economics of it, that reported a good profit. Meanwhile, you know, Batman versus Superman cost two hundred and fifty million and it had to make a billion or else people in Warner Brothers were gonna lose their job and it didn't achieve a billion and some people lost their job yeah. because the stakes were so high. And I just, I don't think we'll get to the point where, you know, nowadays it's really just sports and live programming that has people sitting around for appointment viewing. Everything now is because we can watch things whenever we want to. It's to that point. But also I think they're trying to make certain shows like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead. They're trying to make those appointment driven by having articles come out the second an episode Mm. ends spoiling everything so now you're training fans hey if you don't want shit spoiled you gotta watch it the second it comes out same thing with like dc and marvel movies and theaters that's you know you'll see memes i remember i saw captain marvel on on the thursday it came out and i'm so glad i did because i got home popped on twitter and there's a bunch of memes and jokes based on the ending and i'm like Mm. holy crap that would have ruined i mean i got i got the end credit scene spoiled on the marvels because i didn't see it i did see it the opening weekend but i didn't see it the thursday and yeah it got spoiled but they're trying to make things appointment but because they can't you know they're i sorry I, i went in down the weeds in that but my point was i don't think there's going to be this 
everyone coming together for a ton of stuff. But I do think there will be that movie or that TV show that everyone with parentheses there. Yeah, quotation marks. Everyone watches because people love to have that conversation. They love to engage with other people and have that social aspect. So I think there will be those shows and movies. It's just can't be something that the studios had that intention for it to be that way. The the audiences choose what movie, what TV show is in the cultural zeitgeist, just like Stranger Things is still that. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's that something that everyone before. That's talks probably the about. closest. Yeah. And once that's done, there's going to be something else. So I don't agree. It's over. I think it's just studios can't dictate that. Like back when there was only three channels. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing too. it. Right. Like. It was already curated for you. And sometimes I miss that, like, sure. that idea of, like... Me too. Because Accidentally you, stumbling upon a show you didn't think exactly. you'd love and end up loving it. Mm-hmm. Because you're like, well, what the hell? And then you just get emotionally immersed into it. Uh, even with movies and stuff, you know, sometimes I'm like, I have Hulu TV or whatever the hell it is. And I'll, like, oh, shit, this is on and I'll just watch it. Whereas, like, I'm on Netflix and I'm just, like, this is There's a good movie. Much. But what if there's a better movie over here? Yeah. And then it's like two hours later and I'm like, I got to watch something that's quick now. I'll just watch YouTube or something like that. Yeah. There's too much choice. And then you times that by how much streaming there is now, which I mean, at some point I feel like it's cable. (laughs) The the whole reason would cut the cord was to save the money. And now you have all these different things going on. You're basically they're they're all at some point. I think they're going to have to start combining more they already are. I mean, like, yeah, Max is already selling that. off a bunch of their content. Yeah. You know, DC is going over to Amazon, except yeah. for the last like one or two. But for the most part, all of it's there. Same thing with their HBO content. Now that Wall Street wants it about profits, they're already starting to do that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I listened to a, like a great podcast about that. That was a good model they had before. And they were kind of talking about it in terms with the writers and the actor strike and stuff like that, where it was just much easier because you could see exactly how the profit was broken down. It was distributed between cable very fairly between channels. And this was just like kind of a nightmare because it's like Netflix can say whatever they want on the numbers and all that kind of shit. Yeah, because there's no data transparency. Exactly. So I think you're right. You are kind of seeing that. And you're right. HBO is kind of a, which I kind of hated that happened because I loved Max before mm, yeah it was great i thought it was actually it was like probably my favorite one the way it yeah was up. same and then i was like come on with all this shit but it's the way it yeah, was Yeah, harry potter's over at peacock like what are we doing here <laughs> i know it's crazy dude and then i'm like well i'll just i was telling my kid the other day what do you want he wants to watch oh because he likes the godzilla movies but it's on apple plus now the new one and i'm like the show yeah and it's really good is it Mm. Yeah, see, now I'm going to have to get that. I was like, maybe I'll just get it for a month for him and then just, be, you know, cut it. If that yeah, I, I love Apple TV. I think yeah, that, for, it, it is for our generation what HBO was for the previous generation. Like, I might not like all the shows that are on there, but the quality is incredible. I, yeah. I do enjoy most of the shows. So you might get sucked into Apple TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you might. Yeah. I have some recommendations I can send your way. All right. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to cut Netflix now at this point because I'm just like, there's nothing on it for me. Yeah. But when you talk about like dumbing stuff down, 
that's the one that always like I watch a show and I'm like, what am I watching? Like, just yeah. let me figure it out. And that's part of, you know, that's one of the good things, great things in movies is like feeling good that you're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. But like, it, that's a great point. I never thought of that. It's like so much distraction and multiple screens. And I do it. I do it by accident. Right. Because I'll see an actor and I'll be like, God, I haven't seen them in a while. And then I'm like, oh, shit, they've been doing this and this and this. And I'm telling my wife, like, did you know that this person was dating this person? It's just easy to get sucked into that. So that's a good yeah. point with that. It was funny when you were talking about getting something spoiled for you. I would see all me and my kid. That was like a tradition. We'd see opening night, all like the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff. And I was a big comic book kid when I grew up. I was a huge X-Men guy. But, uh, you know, obviously I love the MCU. And for whatever reason, we couldn't see Infinity War the opening night. So we were going to go Sunday. So I'm like, I have to stay away from everything from Thursday to Sunday. Sure. Did. Nobody talk about anything. And it was funny because my wife who spoiled it for me because she goes, uh. well, she just goes, dude, somebody just wrote something about Infinity War. They said, I go, don't, don't, don't. And she goes, it's not a spoiler. I, I swear. And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. And she's like, it's not a spoiler. And she's like, I'm like, OK. And she was like, the person said something like nobody ever has been in a movie theater that was so quiet and they just sat there without any reaction. And I was like, okay, so Thanos snapped everybody away. Thanks. She's like, I, that's not what it said. I'm like, why else would they sit there? Yeah. Like that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you just gave it away. Spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen that in, you know, five years, but. Oh, they've only talked about it in every single Yeah, I know. Marvel it's like everywhere. So listen, thank you so much for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and this it, was fun. And I was happy to do like a different side because I think the last time we talked or when I was on your show, we talked more social and political issues. But I always enjoy listening to your show and getting this take of it because it's a side I don't ever, obviously I'm not in the business, so I don't get to see that. And uh, yeah, it was cool. So I appreciate yeah, thanks, it. man. Thank you so much for having me back on. It's always yeah. a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, yeah. You come back maybe sooner than later. I know you're sure. busy, but what are you yeah. doing? What are you working on now? You got anything coming up? So right now we are pitching a horror movie franchise to studios. So that's pretty exciting. We've been using the short film as I mean, the whole purpose of making it was as a work sample for my production company, Pure Left Productions. That was our first film that we've done and that we really wanted to show studios and investors what we could do and obviously those awards don't hurt when it comes to adding some credibility to what we do um so from that we have uh multiple shows and movies that we're in development on but also like i said we're pitching that that might be the first thing we might also be uh sometime next year filming an action series pilot Okay. So we're I'm finishing up the script for that now. It was our we it was a film, but we might just get self-funding to turn it into a TV show. So I'm taking a certain initial chunk of it. There's enough content. I actually had to scale down when I wrote the wrote the film. I actually in order for it to even be looked at with studios, it has to be a certain length. And I had to cut a third of the script. <laughs> in order for it to be a third of the finished script in order for it to be even sellable. So we have plenty of content to make like, you know, 
eight to 10 episode season. So we're really looking at that and potentially filming that next year. So we shall see. Stay tuned is all I'm going to say. We still have our coffee company, the Spartacus Coffee. Go to SpartacusCoffee.com. That's that's out there. Yeah. Alive and kicking. 5% of everything raised goes to the nonprofit No Kid Hungry, which helps to eliminate school lunch debt, uh, stocks up local food banks, and also goes to Washington to fight and eliminate that just disgusting concept of school lunch debt, which is just awful. Yeah. Insane. But thank you again so much. I'll have you back for something else. There's there's always stuff to talk to you about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we didn't even get. Yeah. But I appreciate your time because I know you're busy. So absolutely, man. Anytime for you, Jay. All right. No, thanks again. I'll talk to you. People on their way to work. Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcast or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon. No visible means of support, and you have not.